to our Africa Travel Week Connect Unlock Africa podcast, where we bring the news, views, tips and tricks from tourism experts and personalities, sometimes simply sharing a window on their world and Africa's tourism sector. It's September, and that means the spotlight is on tourism. The world is celebrating Tourism Month, and we're taking the opportunity to look at trends, both within Africa and internationally. We're thrilled that you're joining us for this weekly series, where each week we have a catch-up with an expert in various tourism sectors, from responsible tourism to events and hospitality. Joining me today, I have Dr. Aduno Kupe, an expert in sustainability and tourism, currently living in Lagos. Dr. Okupe shares her interest in behavioral economics to understand decision-making as regards leadership for societal change, socio-cultural leadership, tourism, and leisure studies, and the impacts these have on the sustainable development agenda. Her thoughts on cultural sustainability make for fascinating listening, and I'm sure you'll enjoy her views as much as I did. Let's start off with you, um, about you as a person. Tell me a little bit about you, your background, um, how you came to work in the tourism industry. Right. Uh, I think that's a good place to start. So um, I, I was born and brought up in Lagos in Nigeria, so I'm Nigerian. And I would say that in secondary school, which is high school, I got to discover economics. So I was always going to be an engineer or an architect. And for some reason, once we took the economics class, it just made so much sense to me. And I remember telling my parents that I was going to study economics. And my dad was like, but you thought you were going to do medicine or engineering. How did you change? And for me, it was that sense of understanding human behavior and the reasons why we, the reasons we give for the decisions that we make. And I'll get back to that in a bit. And But it was also the sense of understanding, you know, that time, was divided into work and leisure. And it was that sense of, you know, we, we, we live to work. Some people live to work, but some people work to live. And it was also that conversation between what is living. And so I wouldn't say that it was as crystal clear in my mind as, as, as immediately, but I was always curious about that. And so anyway, I went to university and studied economics and finance and then got a job in an accountancy firm because, you know, it was what everybody did after you know, I got an internship and they offered me a graduate position. But I was always still wondering about this sense of you know, economics, life, etc. And I remember traveling. I love traveling. I've always loved traveling and just traveling and seeing that you know, the, the tourism economy contributed so much. And even from my own perspective as a tourist, I saw how much I was spending and I started to aggregate it and started reading more. And I'll say that was the introduction to tourism, to be honest. And then I thought, you know what, I wanted to do a PhD in it. I've always felt like I wanted to study something quite deeply. And I, I wanted to do a PhD after leaving Kiel, which is where I did my first degree. But my careers advisors recommended that since I had a job offer, I should at least explore that first. Anyway, so I decided to do a master's at SOAS to understand the developing economy challenges. But the question was then, how can I use tourism as a vehicle for development in Nigeria and in Africa? And I thought, you know what, I've left the country, I mean, I've left the academic world for a few years. Let me, you know, let me kind of go back and see if I'm really sure, ready, sure and ready about this PhD journey. So the master's at SOAS, which was the School of Oriental and African Studies, 
was very good. And then I did a PhD in tourism at the University of Surrey. And, and, and that was kind of the journey. But I would say in terms of my focus and how I've kind of focused on what I'm doing now, you know, I did an, uh, I worked with the World Travel and Tourism Council while I was doing my PhD. It was meant to be an internship and then it became a, you know, a part-time job. And, and that was good in seeing tourism leadership. And that was really when I converted, I, I decided actually to change my research topic from looking at just tourism of a destination and looking at the different, you know, different destination development parameters and saying, can we do a bit more strategic stuff, which connected back to, again, back to my initial work experience in London. And so, I don't know, that, that's kind of how I got into tourism. And then I, after, after that, I did a postdoc in at the University of Edinburgh, looking at the role of leaders in, in sustainability and sustainable development. And it, but yes, I was just saying that the question on Edinburgh, I didn't want to be this academic in Scotland, talking about how we could do things in, in Africa and in Nigeria. And because I managed the project, I'd seen how challenging data collection, how challenging research could be. And I just thought that, you know what, it's, it's time to at least try and see how I can be be part of that environment to see how I can understand it a bit better, which would hopefully help me in my contributions. And so that's the journey and that's how I'm here. And that's kind of how I've segued into the whole tourism and sustainability space. Wow. That's a lot of studying that you have done, an incredible amount of studying that you've done, but also lovely that you have practical experience in the industry. And I'm, I'm very curious, I mean, you mentioned tourism and sustainability in the same sentence, in the same breath. And there are a lot of people who would say that there are parts of tourism that are very unsustainable. So tell me how you have linked um, sustainability and the importance of sustainability to tourism in the work that you do. I think that's a very good question. And, you know, now now in, in Lagos, where I teach, I teach at the business school, Lagos Business School, and I teach sustainability. And many times I hear that the participants usually think of sustainability primarily from an environmental sustainability angle. And for me, sustainability is quite broad. It's, it's a lot broader than, than that. And it's the sense of how do we ensure that people live a better quality life? That's first. And if you go back to this equation I, I gave about work and leisure, I see sustainability from the cultural sustainability dimension, which is excluded from normal conversations on sustainability. It's usually talking about economic, environmental, and social, right? But the social also includes the way of life of the people, which is the cultural. And so I, I, I navigate my sustainability space from how, what's the way of life? How do we understand it from a heritage perspective? But also how do we understand it and and use it to celebrate and use it. How do we understand it? How do we appreciate it, celebrate it, but also use it to advance our economic and you know, environmental causes. And the reason for that is because I also have to be quite realistic about where we are in our development trajectory here in Nigeria. And many business leaders, to be honest, are just saying they just really want their businesses to survive. They usually see sustainability as a cost factor. When I start to talk to them about the sense of the people component, the social and the cultural, I can see that it connects a lot better. And that's what tourism helps with. You know, in your leisure time, you start to explore more about you know, the culture, the way of life. You start to appreciate the environment. And when I mean environment, I mean the social environment that you're in. But then that's a beautiful conversation starter to other elements like, you know, environmental sustainability, stemming rural to urban migration, the appreciation of how the natural elements flow and connecting more to that. 
that. But my response to, to your question really is that, yes, there is and there have been, you know, challenges as well and issues of social impacts of tourism, you know, in terms of over-tourism and the commodification of tourism. And, and these are challenges that we're still working to grapple with. So how do we, as a tourism industry, work together to ensure the integrity of this very diverse um, uh, cultural, at least the cultural sustainability on the continent? It's such a diverse continent. There's so many different cultures. And we often looked at as a continent, you know, that we see Africa as one country, but yet we are such a diverse continent. So as a tourism industry, how can we make a contribution to ensuring the integrity of that cultural sustainability so that it isn't a kind of one size fits all viewpoint on Africa as a continent? I think that's a fantastic question. And honestly, it's something that I was actually questioning yesterday. I'm writing something on cultural sustainability. And it's that sense of even how do we make it relatable to people so that it's not this seen as this academic or intellectual question. But in practical terms, I think one thing we need to do more on the continent is that we need to even identify who are the tourism organizations and prof professionals that are doing work in, you know, that are doing good work. We need to do more collaborative work is the first thing. We need to understand more of what we're offering. And we need to also be willing to learn as an industry because we cannot give what we don't have. And one thing we've tried to do is that Red Clay, the organization that I work with, we started the West Africa Tourism Roundtable Series, which also brought in professionals from Southern Africa and Eastern Africa as a way to say, you know, yes, Africa is not homogeneous, but there are some similarities, for example, in the tourism products that West Africa offers or the tourism product that Eastern Africa offers, et cetera. And is it, how can we start to understand and, and uh, analyze these different tourism products in a way that presents them to the, to the world? And when I mean world, I'm not also talking about just simply people coming from outside of the continent, but even to West Africans as well. And how do we start to professionalize our sector? How do we start to evolve the conversation? So these strategies that I am, you know, I am preferring are not quick wins. Unfortunately, they need strategic and deliberate effort that take time. But until we do that, I would say that our industry will continue to be quite supine and we wouldn't be able to achieve what we need to. Now, in terms of the integrity, it's important that we also research. It's important that we look at different destinations. We see how they've evolved over time. We identify destinations that perhaps are in need of critical help in terms of, you know, either cultural practices or even buildings or even ways of life and start to say, what kind of stories can we weave around this? And how do we come up with different ways to make these stories accessible? An example I like to give is that when I've gone to the Lake District, you know, I have really seen a lot about Miss Pot Beatrice Potter, right? Beatrice Potter is a fictional, fictional creator, right? And but yes, the Beatrice Potter has really helped the tourism industry there because of the different products. So it's almost about fiction coming to life, you know. So it's almost the other way around, where you know, art instead of life, instead of art imitating life, or is it the other way around? I can't remember. Anyway, but life is imitating art or learning from art, and is that sense of how do we start to come up with different tourist products that are also ways of telling our story? So I like the idea of books. I like the idea of movies. I like the idea of different 
in, interpretations that can connect to people. I would say that we have quite a long way to go with it in that regard. Another example I like to give is that, you know, when you look at globalization of culture, you know, Hollywood has been a very strong agent in the Americanization, right, of, of the world, so to speak. Yeah. We cannot continue to contribute to this narrative that Africa is this continent of poor people or Africa is this continent of hearts and, you know, animals. We need to start to also show Africa in its diversity, which has multiplicity of, of viewpoints. And I think the final point I would like to make as well is that, you know, whenever you've traveled around the world, wherever you've gone, New York, London, anywhere, Italy, Spain, India, Japan, okay, maybe not Japan so much, but you see poverty, you see, you see wealth and you see poverty. Whereas here, we seem to only tell negative stories about the continent. So we also need to work again, like I come back to collaboration with other agents in our industry to say, how can we showcase the positive stories? Not because I'm saying we must deny the negative ones, but we cannot be amplifying the negative if we want to improve our tourism industry. I mean, if you want to grow our tourism industry. Yeah, that is a, a, an incredible point. And, and to your point around uh, a different narrative, you know, I, Africa has such a strong tradition of storytelling. I'd be so interested in how we can harness that talent, um, the storytelling talent that we have on the continent and really showcasing the continent from a different perspective as opposed to just you know, sitting back and saying, well, the rest of the world looks to Africa or looks at Africa like this. So, you know, it's it's too much for us to fight. We're, you know, not going to bother with it. And how can we really harness that tradition of storytelling that we have in Africa that is, you know, spans centuries and start telling the the real stories of the people of Africa, the exciting um, stories. It's not, not just about the history of Africa, but the incredible entrepreneurship and innovation that we see on the African continent, not just in the tourism industry and beyond. Um, let's talk a little bit about you, if I may. And I know we started off asking you about your journey getting into the tourism industry and how you came to work in cultural sustainability. But um, tell me a little bit about what your true life's passion is. Is it to tell this different story of Africa or what is it that keeps you up at night that you're really wanting to pursue? <laughs> In terms of what I really want to pursue, in terms of life, importance of leisure, and that they can also um, understand that this contribution to their quality of life, I will be a very happy person at the end of my working life to see that the leisure economy is taken very seriously. And that, and when I mean seriously, I mean both by the agents that work in it, as well as those that you know, come and patronize it uh, and celebrate who we are as people. If I can contribute to that, I'll be very happy. And when I say celebrate who we are as people, I'm even talking about some work that I've also done in cultural leadership, which is trying to understand, you know, when, when I talk to, again, when I talk to my participants about cultural leadership or business culture in Nigeria, I'm told, oh, we don't have a way of doing business. But then when I asked that, but is there a German way of doing business or is Chinese way or Japanese way or American way? They said, yes, of course. And again, it's that disconnect you see between how we live and how we think we operate. If I can merge those two together, and I think the tourism industry can be a powerful vehicle for that, then, then that's, that, that would make me very happy. And that's what keep, keeps me up at night. 
that keeps me up at night. That keeps me going day to day, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that we, um, you know, we would recognize that so well in other countries, but not um, in our in our own societies? What do you think is the source of that? Well, I think there are many reasons. Uh, one reason, of course, is uh, the, the colonial impact or the impact colonization has had uh, in terms of just how we see ourselves. So there's almost that sense of anything that's authentically African is seen as primitive. And anything that is outside of being African is seen as better. We need to really start to unpack that. I think one, you know, we can see now, perhaps from an economic standpoint, that the rest of the world, you know, starts to look at us, our activities and celebrate them. But the problem is that the value addition doesn't take place here. The value addition takes place outside of the continent. Now, that's one. The second is the stories. Again, if you always hear negative stories wherever you go. I mean, I lived abroad for a long time. And honestly, it was when I moved to England that I realized that I was black. I never thought I was a black person. I always just thought of myself as Adam, right? And it's that sense of this labeling and stereotypes that almost subconsciously through many, many, you know, mediums, the movies, the, the songs, the plays, etc. You know, you, you start to think about yourself as different from and as not quite good as in terms of just as a general African. But then you now over time, and I think the world is coming to that with a lot of these conversations that happen around around the world in America and England on the continent, you know, is this sense of celebration, is this sense of appreciation, is this sense of respect. And I think we need to do more of that. So for me, it's the sense that we need to do a lot more to continue those conversations, particularly for the coming generations. And this is again a sustainability angle. So that the generations that are coming will not have to start to think about, have questions such as, why is your hair like this? You know, you have to even, even within Nigeria, you have to tell the stylist or the hairdresser that, oh, you know, I don't want to straighten my hair. I like my hair. And the hairdresser says, ah, but you, you have, this is in, in like Nigerian pidgin English. Oh, but you have money. Why do you want to not straighten your hair? Again, you see, so these are the little stereotypes that are quite significant that, that we need to unpack. And I would say that cultural sustainability can be a great vehicle for that. The more you travel, the more you see other forms of life, other ways of life, the more you start to interrogate yours, the more you start to respect yours. One example, quick example is, I remember when I went to Japan and I went to Kyoto and I saw their, their temples, right? And, and the grove in Arashiyama. And you just start to say, oh goodness, look at this place. It's celebrated, but in our part of the world it's demonized. And, and why is this so? And how can this be if Japan can be you know, one of the most technologically advanced societies in the world, but still is able to marry its traditional way of life? Why can't we seem to do that? So again, traveling expands your horizon, broadens your mind, and just shows you much more of what's possible. And I would say that it lets you see what you have in a different light. So, yeah. <laughs> What do you think, I mean, just talking about a place like Japan that does cultural sustainability so well, what do you think a place like Japan could learn from us here in Africa? Hmm. Oh, so many things. So, so many things. I mean, if, if you watch Japanese movies, you'll see that, you know, solitude, solitude living in, in Japan. And, and that has been, um, I mean, and that has been given as some of the reason for the, the high rate of depression. There's also this sense of, you know, their culture is also very, What's the word? 
basically it's not an open culture in the sense that people don't share as much. People keep things to themselves. There's this sense of performance. Uh-huh. And so in public, you have to show this space. You have to just do your work, do what is expected of you and just perform your role. I think in Africa, you know, we are a lot more expressive. <laughs> I'm sure you can agree to that. And we are quite communal. So even if you don't want to talk to somebody, so I've just come to my office now. Everybody wants to greet you. Everybody wants to find out how you are. There's just this sense of this communal sense of being and living, you know, start to try to be a lot more cosmopolitan in our approach. And so that's, those are two things that Japan can learn about, you know, our expressive culture, but also this sense of knowing that life is, life, life comes with its many different uh, fences. And it's good to also have people around you that can share in those so that you don't have to go through all of that alone. Yes, I've got you. I've got you. Um, my last question for you um, is tell us something about you that someone who knows you well would be surprised to learn about you. <laughs> That's a difficult question. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Something, something, someone who knows me well would be surprised to learn about me. If you'd asked me this question about a year ago, a couple of years ago, I think, it, okay, I think it's that I'm quite shy. A lot of people don't believe that. I'm quite shy and I quite, you know, I like, I love my own company and I love my own space. I think because I'm in tourism, because I like to, you know, talk about tourism and people think that if you're in the tourism industry, you must like to travel a lot and go out and meet people, etc. And I feel like that disconnect between, yes, I enjoy traveling. Yes, I enjoy people, but maybe going out so much isn't part of how I navigate my day to day. And I think people are generally surprised, surprised about that. So, for example, I had a meeting last week and it was a new restaurant and I was like, oh, I haven't been here. And it was that says, oh, well, you, you know, you're in tourism, you know everything. I was like, mm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I think that maybe I don't know if that's a good one, but that's what comes to mind now. It is extraordinary, though, how many people I interview who are very functional um, in, in a tourism space where it is a very social environment, but as you say, really for their own company. I think it's a superpower <laughs> that you have. I really appreciate your time today and really a fascinating um, insights and very, you know, I, w- I could spend a lot more time speaking to you about cultural sustainability. It's not an area that I am very familiar with because, as you said earlier, when we talk about sustainability, we tend to pigeonhole um, sustainability and tourism very much in the kind of conservation space, climate change impact on the African continent, etc. So fascinating to get a little bit of a window of your world on your world when it comes to cultural sustainability. And certainly um, you have ignited interest in me about that as a topic. So I will certainly be reading a little bit more about that and hopefully touching base with you again to get some more great insights. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this conversation, Natalia. And I look forward to yeah, to see more of what you, you guys are going are doing. Thank you. There you have it, Dr. Adona Coupe, an expert in sustainability and tourism, who wants us to shine a spotlight on cultural sustainability and share our authentic stories about the continent and its people. Thank you for sharing a window on your world. <laughs>